So I checked out this book uh, by Charles Bukowski back in March, uh, mid middle March probably, and I was uh, I gave it to my lady to read. It's a book on it's called On Drinking. It's just different. It's essays and uh, poems and stories, uh, all very good. It are very entertaining stuff. But it seems to have gone walkabout it seems to have kind of sprouted legs and it, it disappeared sometime in March I think it it's sitting uh, 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 on Catalina Island maybe somewhere but so I guess I just I <laughs> so I'm still so every few weeks I gotta recheck this book out <laughs> so I just do it online it's great I mean I don't know where the book is but I just I continually check it out every time it's due like I, I'm gonna see how long I, I can ride this out I'm just gonna keep going with it I'm just gonna I'm going to take it as far as I can go. I'm going to go till I run out of land. And when I run out of land, I'm going to I'm going to hop on a boat. You know what I'm saying? You know, I've really been getting, uh, it's, a, it's that time of year. Uh, there's two times a year I really get into jazz, bluesy jazz. Uh, but for the most part, somewhere in the sweet spot in the middle there, a little jazzy blues. But uh, it's the extreme heat and, uh, and then the middle of winter. And so here we are, everybody. So, what's going on? What's going on, people? What's going on, everybody? I'll tell you this. My son, he... Uh, this guy's like Ferris Bueller, you know? He's... Uh, he's. This is like the... This is probably the greatest summer ever for... Uh, in the history of 17-year-old boys. He uh, left for... Um, he left for Paris in June got back then we went to Tahoe had some had some fun up in Tahoe he got back and now he um the son of a bitch this motherfucker he he took off for Disneyland <laughs> like must be nice times are hard man times are hard man I gotta go down to Disneyland oh and then and then the little fucker in August uh, is is going to Norway, so on. Oh, and that's all this uh, on top of an aborted uh, trip to Tokyo. He he was he was systematically about to ha go. I don't know what the deal was. Like him and his buddies, and I don't know somebody else, their dad or brother or somebody. We're just gonna go to Tokyo. Why Tokyo? I don't know. Um, how crazy would that have been? Paris, Tokyo, Norway, Scandinavia, Europe, Japan, Tahoe, and now Disneyland. So where am I going with this? Get to the point, man. Okay. So he left. Uh, well, first of all, okay. I'm not going to rat him out, but... Uh, he uh, he seems to be uh, indulging in a little bit of the jazz cabbage, if you know what I'm saying. A little bit of the sensamilia. And uh, it was <laughs> discovered by uh, his mom and, uh, and, and then verified by his, his sister. And, um, and he made the rookie mistake of just smoking in his room. I mean, Jesus, you can smell that shit from like Fairfield, right? So... Uh, uh, I had to have a little chat with him. It was pretty straightforward, though. I said, "Man, it's all you know." As long as, look, I I'm not gonna tell you what to do. It'd be I'd be pretty uh pretty big hypocrite if I was if I was to kind of school you on this or scold you for that matter. Just make sure that uh, wherever your buddies are getting this, it's got to be from a dispensary. There's too much laced shit going around. And uh, any other odd diversions, just check in with me, man. It's a judgment-free zone. It's like Planet Fitness, man. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Pa I, you know, I just. I need to be in the loop though, because I. I've been around enough. 
I've been around enough to know you're the one I want to go through time with. And uh, so I told, I said, just if you get any uh, new revelations, please just let me know so that I can kind of give you what information I, I have procured over the years on it, you know, save you some hassle. Well, why is that important? Because when you left for Disneyland, uh, which was, uh, what was that, Sunday night, Monday night, Sunday, Monday night, and uh, so his mom texts me. She's like, I just dropped him off, this house, the dad's house. So I guess he went down with his friend Jesse and his other friend Jesse and the dad's name is Je- They're all named Jesse. You know, it's like uh, Jesse Cubed, Jesse to the third power and uh, the Tri-Jessies. And they were leaving later in the evening. She said, uh, it must have been, I don't know, 7.30 or something. I get the text. And uh, she said, you know, when I went in the house, when I dropped them off and I, uh, I guess she might, she must have gone in the house briefly. She said, you know, she could detect the scent of, uh, of weed. So she's all in a panic. She's like, uh, you know, can I trust this? Should I cut, should I contact his wife or his ex-wife or his whoever? I don't know. I don't know who this guy is. It's just, he's one of the Jesse's. Right. And, um, I said, well, you know what? I got a good feeling about this. You know, she's like, well, she's, she kind of, her concern was if this guy is smoking and driving or something to that effect. And I don't, you know, if, if it's in the house, I think he is a probably routine or, or a, uh, consistent user, which means that that could mean one of uh, a trillion things. It could have mean, it could mean he, maybe he has something he, uh, he has anxiety, maybe he has, uh, seizures, maybe he has spasms, maybe he's, I don't, maybe it's, uh, uh, God, God only knows. There's a number of reasons why, you know? But I, I think anybody that takes his own children along with uh, uh, my son has got the wherewithal to make the right judgment call. And um, again, I, I, it, I just I go into a deep Zen center, and uh, I go into like the Buddhist thought of how does it feel? What does it feel to you? Does it feel right? It feels good. Do you trust the situation? Yes. Are you getting any weird vibes? Nope. All right. So, but I said, but I texted him and I said, just when you get to uh, Disneyland, just let me know you made it. Text me and your mom, please. He's like, sounds good. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it does. It fucking does sound good. So, um, I'm, you know, kicking it laying in bed and I'm watching this uh, so I decided to just kind of flip through uh, I'm watching YouTube on the on the old uh, on the old boob tube YouTube on the boob tube and I'm watching the history of jazz or the the jazz documentary the jazz uh, the Ken Burns film jazz which is fascinating fascinating like Waiting up for this, waiting, waiting up for this Joker to text me, right? So I'm sitting there and um, I'm just flipping through, and uh, it's just stunning to. It's what kept me awake, and I was watching. Um, God, the origins are fat. Well, you know, it's you know, of course, it comes from slaves. It comes from uh, Africans. Um, it comes from the blues, and. Uh, but it, it's speaking of, you know, kind of a, you know, Buddhist Zen be here, be present vibe, you know, like, uh, like I was telling my lady the other day, I said, if you, if uh, there's some, there's some proverb, I don't know if it was Confucius or somebody, some kind of Zen dude said something to the effect, like if you're concern too much with the future that's where your anxiety comes from if you concern too much with the past that's where your depression comes from but if you are in the present then you're 
like the Buddhists say, be here now, be present, right? And that's kind of what jazz is or what it was described to be. Like, so when, uh, so I, I was, I also watched a, uh, an interview with Ken Burns, uh, Charlie Rose and, and Wynton Marsalis from the great Marsalis family, Branford Marsalis and, uh, uh, is it Ellis? There's a bunch of Marsalises. They're all, they're all, they're all sprinkled about uh, New Orleans, which is kind of like the. Uh, that's kind of like the create the birthplace, kind of the creation of where it all began. Because what had happened was, uh, during the Civil War, a, a Union ship made its way down the Mississippi River, and it basically just kind of is kind of cordoned off. Louisiana it separated them from the other Confederate states. It kind of blocked them off when they when when the Union uh, took control of the Mississippi. There, it kind of divided Louisiana away from the rest of the Confederacy. That you know, like the other Southern states, and uh, it put up a stronghold, and it, and it became this metropolitan area for a lot of different uh, uh, Africans and Blacks and uh, people like Dominicans and Creoles, and uh, so there's this huge melting pot of all these cultures that kind of coalesced and uh, came together at the the Delta there, at the the mouth of the Mississippi there, right in uh, New Orleans, right? So all these greats came up, you know, from basically as a means of communication, so the slaves were able to, um, you know, despite other sad ways of life that they had to endure, they channeled, channeled a lot of that with, through their music and the music, like, uh, you know, I think drums were outlawed, but they, they had other ways of expressing with beats through beats and, uh, and music. And it, and it got to a point where it took on an entertainment aspect. And, and so a lot of the, plantation owners and um, city folk and so forth would gather around during the, the, these sessions and they would listen to the listen to these uh, these Africans and these other cultures that came together that, uh, that would make this interesting, weird, interesting music which eventually would become kind of like the blues, more like bluesy but uh, but kind of a blend it was an expression, it was a way they communicated as well so um, that eventually evolved. And so these greats that came out of there, like uh, like Louis Armstrong, you know, Pops, and uh, Jelly Roll Morton, you know, the greats, you know, uh, who's been quoted in many songs, you know, and it stoned me to my soul. Da-na-na. Stone me just like jelly roll Yeah, it stoned me From the great Van Morrison Van the man The uh, the, the northern Irishman uh, But And then of course the Marsalis family All these greats just came This was like the cradle The birthplace of this form of art This is a Well, getting back to the Ken Burns interview With Charlie Rose Or Charlie Rose's interview with Ken Burns And Wynton, Wynton Marsalis you know, uh, that was kind of the key, f- key point in that, in, in that, um, jazz was really the only art form that we've ever created as an American art form. It's, it's the only real true art that we, we created, which we now, of course we stole from the, uh, the blacks, right. Uh, but it's birthplace is in the U S it's not anywhere else, but the U S it came together the blends and the, the, the layers and the, the levels and the just came together at the right place at the right time and it evolved and then it became, it be, they, and then it evolved into the, what they, they called these things called uh, minstrels. So they became these performing uh, shows, minstrels, minstrel performers. And then that evolved into what was called ragtime. Ragtime was more piano based. Ragtime is really probably the stepping off point for the uh what we consider modern jazz and but ragtime kind of diverged from uh its inception uh the other f- 
side of that fork in the road was blues. So the, then there became the two great, I, I consider blues, you know, uh, another art form or it came from us, you know, blues is American. Blues was, uh, became something that, uh, it wasn't so much, um, how you sing, but like the content of the, the song, but, um, but ragtime, ragtime kind of being, uh, more piano oriented and, 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 uh, different pace and different structures, uh, helped the divergence with the mere fact that they, they, they kind of looked down on the blues because the blues was, the blues ended up becoming more of like a, uh, a beacon for like the, well, in their eyes, the less educated or the poor, the, you know, the Robert Johnsons and the, at the crossroads in Mississippi, you know, selling a soul to the devil in the middle of a, you know, uh, some rural road in the middle of nowhere in the South, right? Just walking into some recording, you know, quote unquote studio, which is basically a, a room the size of a fucking Dutch brothers coffee stand, you know, and some dude, some heavy set, sweaty gentleman in a, suit you know and a hat primarily white dude presumably a white guy who was uh you know probably uh had high blood pressure and was fat but he knew like i'm gonna record this shit so that's so they stepped in the recording booth like robert johnson was uh, you know they thought they'd never heard anything like this 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 guy how does it how does he how's he how's he making those noises out of that guitar you know same with Elmore James, you know, the king of the slide guitar. You know, they didn't know how this guy was making these noises. Well, he had a he had a he was a, he had a slide guitar, man. But uh, but ragtime looked down on 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 the blues, um, and so it diverged, and so it became uh, it evolved into ultimately what would then become jazz, like jazz, jazz, like what we know as jazz, right? So Ken Burns, he made a point telling Charlie Rose this. He said, uh, you know, it's kind of got this, again, it's got this Buddhist be here now, kind of living in the present, like uh, something like Charles Mingus kind of adopted. Like Charles Mingus, um, one of the greats of all time, the great bassist, stand-up bass player. Big, big guy, big, big on opinion, big on uh, character. Um, didn't let you slack, you know. He would call you out if you weren't if you weren't playing you, you were playing if you're just playing notes. He'd call you out on it because it wasn't playing. You weren't playing you. You weren't playing how you felt, how you expressed yourself. But, but Charles Mingus was the guy that said, you know, it's all. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, was it good in the twenties? Was it good in the thirties? Was it good in the forties? Doesn't matter if it's. It was good then. It's good now, right? So he, he really brought it, he, he diluted it down to its essence, but its essence, but the reality was to be present, be, because what we're playing is what we're playing right now. It doesn't matter what's going on tonight, afterwards, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, you are present now. And that's what I guess Ken Burns was getting at with this interview uh, with uh, Charlie Rose and, 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 and Wynton Marsalis, he's talking about... <clears throat> The three, uh, you know, law, when when the American Empire uh, ceases to exist, like all the big historical empires, the Roman Empire, they kind of saw its demise back in 460 BC and uh, or AD, and uh, or BC. Who fucking knows? Uh, or the Greek Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Well, the American Empire, when it ceases to exist, according to Ken Burns, he said they'll be known for three things. They'll be known for they'll be known for this four-page piece of history of literature called the Constitution. It'll be known for baseball, and it'll be known for this thing called jazz. All of which are these just new concepts, right? Mostly by which are all through improvisation. Because, for example, well, no, nobody's ever seen anything like the Constitution. Like, 
how, you know, you understand we're the only ones allowed to say whatever we want to say, right? So no, there's no other country, not even, you know, not even Canada. They can't just say what they want. They can't just pop off. It's, you know, you think that, I mean, Canada, Canadians, they look like us, you know? They act like us. They talk like us. They sound like us. But they ain't us. We're freaks, man. And um, even those, even those amenities are kind of slipping away with present-day cancel culture. But with, say, for example, baseball, you got to stick in a ball. And then the variations with which you can improvise with that and become so many different levels of nuanced perform performing, right? Home runs, singles, slap hits, bunts, uh, you know, a can of corn, knock one, a deep fly, uh, you know, what, what Dizzy Dean of the St. Louis Cardinals would call a can of corn, a lazy fly, pop, pop, pop out to the outfield, right? Um, I mean, is there anything more American back in the 30s and 40s than baseball? And, and, and then integration, Jackie Robinson, you know, um, Bill Burr makes a great point about the fact that, you know, all these great, uh, these, these greats like, um, Ted, Ted Williams, the last guy to hit 400 in, uh, baseball for a season, he hit 406 in 41 last that was the last guy to hit 400 in 1941 and uh why and and which was interesting because he was batting on the last day of the season they were playing a doubleheader the Red Sox were playing a doubleheader and he uh Ted Williams was who's from San Diego um was batting currently he was batting three 9999999999 rounded up for the season would have been 400 they would have they were going to give him they had give him the given him the 400 right it's a pretty it's a big deal right that to me i think is this, i don't know which is harder the 56 day hit streak of joe dimaggio that's fucking insane or 406 but so they gave ted williams the option to s- sit out the double header in case he Lost the up, you know, in case you went over, over, you know, in a double header, you got, you're going to have at least, you should have seven or eight at bats. I mean, you could drop your average down to 390, 391. What's he do? He plays both. That's just so, it's just so American. Plays both games of the double header, goes like six for eight or some, something ridiculous, five for eight. Ends up batting 406 for the season, but that's the last guy in 41. Why is that significant? Because integration happened. In 49, I think it was 49, I guess, when, or 42 or 49. I want to say 49. That doesn't sound right, though. But anyway, when Jackie Robinson came in, and I can't, I, I can't imagine, I don't understand the level of hatred just because of, guy, of a guy's skin. You don't know where this guy's coming from. You don't know his politics. You don't know anything about him other than he just looks different than you. And the hate, the death threats. But, up until then, it was an all-white. It was all-white league. So, you're extracting that amount of talent away, right? So, all the greats, you know. I mean, and, and it's phenomenal. But prior to '41, you know, back in the '30s, and in, in, in the '20s and the '30s, you know, these guys were hitting. 400 pretty, I mean the batting title was 414 you know Nap Lejoy was hitting 4 422 you know um Hack Wilson the Cubs was just ripping the cover off the ball these guys were 190 RBIs I mean just just stupid but once they inter- once they integrated the leagues and they got more talent they got Satchel Page, and they got, you know, they've got, uh, what's his name, uh, Bob Gibson. I mean, that guy's nasty. I mean, all of a sudden now, oh, shit, I can't hit 400. 
Since then, we've had what? Uh, let's see. Wade Boggs hit th- uh, three. He had a three eighty eight season. No, three sixty three. Maybe it was Tony Gwynn hit three eighty eight. George Brett hit three ninety on a shortened season, but still he had a hundred and he had enough at bats, but didn't even come close. Never. It'll never happen again. But you see what I'm getting at. So, all the ways you can improvise and then make things better, more diverse, with more talent, more more diversity, you know? That's where great things happen. So that's where jazz comes in. So jazz is... All it's well, it's not all improvisation because I've heard I've heard the rumors that John Coltrane. I mean, one of the most popular jazz songs of all time is uh, John Coltrane's uh, "My Favorite Things," which is like a take on uh, the sound of music. These are a few of my favorite things. Like a thirteen-minute song. That supposedly was... Well, according to historians, I mean, he, he had every note down, but, um, but... But what blew me away was... Uh, I was watching the year 1959. Uh, I can't... I don't think this was... I think this was... A, this was its own portion of, of its own documentary, but the one of the biggest years in jazz was... Uh, 1959, four of the biggest albums came out that year. Uh, the biggest of all time, which I get chills every time I play it still. And I've played it dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It's kind of blue with Miles Davis, who just had like the all, I mean, anybody who's anybody who's anybody on that album. You got uh, Cannonball Adderley. You got John Coltrane. You got Bill Evans. You got Jimmy Cobb. I mean, it's just... And then Miles Davis? I mean, what the fuck? And um, what I didn't realize, though... So I'm watching this thing. So the, so the, the, to talk about four albums that came out that year. That one, kind of blue. Just legendary. It's, it's sold, it sold five, six million copies. Uh, since 1959, I mean, just ridiculous for for jazz for one for for a real refined, a real uh, not obscure but like a real mm, specific demographic. But still, there's five tracks on that song, and four of them were first takes. Fucking insane! Just hit it right. So like. The first track, so what? The intro to that is so good. Bill Evans just coming in on the piano. Boom, 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 boom. Then the horns, light horns coming. It's like coming in through a fog. You don't know where you're going with it. It's kind of. It's like a big it's like a big question mark. Like, what day is it? What season am I in? Where am I? Who? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, and then Jimmy Cobb comes and hits that symbol. And then Miles Davis coming in with that. That sound, that trumpet is so, like, there's only 12 chords you can play. And he does, he says everything in, like, three. It's fucking, it's just, it's different. You know, anybody, I mean, anybody can play the trumpet, but it's like, it's how you're playing it, right? Like, that's the beauty of all that. It's like, it's the simplest instrument in the world. It's got those three, it's got three little levers at the top. And this guy is just a magician. He's a wizard. Just fucking, where are you coming in with that sound? And then, but 
he just said, roll it, man. And Bill Evans just tickling, tickling those ivories. And then Jimmy Cobb. And then that trumpet. Fucking amazing, but took them only seven hours to do the whole album. They just they had no they had no idea they had no they're not they're, they're not coming in like oh was, we're gonna make the greatest out we're not we we're here to make the greatest jazz album of all time. We should be able to do it in under eight hours, you know, less less than a full day of work. Four of the five tracks, first take, all improvised, no sheet music. Fucking what? What the fuck? What the fuck? The other interesting aspect about the, that, though, is... Well, that year is... Uh, that's the same year Dave Brubeck came out with Time Out. Fucking brilliant shit. But why? Why is it brilliant? Because it's fucking... Five different time signatures on five different tracks. And Time Out is in a 5-4 signature. 5-4 time signature. What the fuck? And then there's a drum... There's a, like a... two-minute drum solo in there. Uh, what's his name? Was it Joe Morello? Is that his name? Because they got Paul Desmond on the sax. Dave Brubeck's on the piano. And... Uh, and then eventually they got a... What's his name? Wright. Uh, the bassist. But they were an all-white... Ba- all-white. And... It was, uh, now it all of a sudden became like a case of reverse discrimination. So they didn't, they didn't understand these, these clean cut guys from like the burbs. Who are these, who are these motherfuckers? Dave Rubeck was from Concord, from Concord, California. Some white kid with three other white dudes. It's a quartet. And, uh, and, uh, what was his name? Wright. Something, I can't remember the name of the bassist. But uh, he went to UOP, went to University of Pacific in Stockton. He's a local boy. And he, but he, again, he didn't set out to make, you know, he, he wasn't there to make some kind of palatable, radio-friendly thing. But that song, Time Out, was the highest-selling 45 of all time, jazz-wise. But he didn't, but see, the, the black community thought that he just raw, he, he, he just stole it from him. But, but in fact, it, it was just, not the case. He was just, he, that was, he didn't really pay attention to any of that. He just, he liked, you know, he, he played what he wanted to play and, and, and he played it well. And it, and, and the masses came to him. He didn't, he wasn't looking for the, 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 you know, he didn't, he wasn't looking for the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, Adulation or the affirmation. He didn't need anybody to tell him it was good. He knew it was good, right? But um, but he was hip too, though. I mean, he he got it. He was he looked like a student, but and he he was kind of a student, but but he got it. But when he introduced his ba- his bass player, oh, it was ah, it was right something right. Uh, fuck. Wish I could. Ah, fuck. But he was a black man. And when he went to go play the colleges, this is even back in the, you know, 59, 60, they weren't letting him play. And he said, well, if you, you know, the the, the, the college coordinator said, uh, you guys can't go up there with him. He said, well, if he, if he, if he's not going up there, we're not going up there. He said, they said, okay, so then. He goes, okay, well then can you can you play him in the back? Just play him all the way in the back. And the whole the whole college is there just stomping on the floorboards, just wanting I mean, can you imagine? This is jazz. Like a whole college just stomping their feet, just wanting, just anticipating this music, just ready to just rip this place apart. And when they got out there with all five of them, it was on. They fucking loved it. They ate that shit up. And finally, Brubeck just said, hey, man, 
Get up here. Get up front, man. Your mic's broke. Get up here and play off my mic. Play, play, play the mic off my speakers. And uh, the place just went ballistic. But um, that was all the same year. Same year. Charles Mingus came out with his album, Ah Um. Another, another fucking this landmark album. Uh, Ornette Coleman uh, came out. What was it? What the hell is this? It was, uh, it was called... Um, the Shape of Jazz to Come. That's right. The Shape of Jazz to Come. And uh, it's just remarkable. And it's, it's, but that's what Americans are. You know, they kind of, they, they piece things together. They bring kind of disparate things in and just let it go. Let it fly and, and, and live in the present, you know. And, uh. Yeah, what a year. What a crazy year. But, uh, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. So that's what I was doing when I was, I was wait, um, waiting for uh, old Sonny Boy there to text me. Finally, about 1.15, 1 1.20 after, um, I checked in, you make it? He's like, hell yeah. I'm like, all right. Well, I appreciate you getting back to me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so this bastard's down in this bastard's down in Disneyland kicking it with the Jessies. Fucking hell. So, I know, life's hard. Um, life's hard, and then you go to Norway, right? But speaking of Norway, fuck. So I've been wanting to touch on the old world champs here, man. What a fucking, what a championship. It's it's going down. Um, so some highlights, some highlights. Speaking of weed, some highlights are. Uh, let's see. Hold on here. Pull this. Let me let me just whip this out right now. <laughs> Pardon me while I whip this out. Um, so we've got some results. Uh. Okay, so less than, less than exciting. I'll, I'll start with uh, the men's steeplechase final. We got uh, uh, Evan Jagger was our top uh, American. Let's see, what did he got? Third, fourth, fifth, he was sixth. Sixth overall. So that was a pretty pedestrian and tactical race. And he just got blown away by uh, Sufain El-Bakari, El-Bakari, the Moroccan. Who uh, I get? Did he win the Olympics? I think he won the Olympics as well. Uh, but tactical race, he ran about eight twenty six. Our boy Jagger. Uh, well, he didn't have quite the moves. Not he didn't have the moves like Jagger, like like he needed. So, but he finished three seconds off the pace at eight twenty nine. Those are very, like, when you're talking about you know these guys are all capable of running about eight flat, eight oh one. Very tactical. So, next up, men's or no women's marathon was really interesting. Uh, the winner was Gotaiden Gebru Selassie from Ethiopia. Was it is it Ethiopian? Is that is she? Uh, I believe yes, Gebru Selassie. That sounds Ethiopian. What'd she run? She ran two eighteen eleven. Fucking two eighteen. Like, I know a lot of guys that would give their uh, their thumbnail. Uh, to run that, to give they'd give their small pinky to run two eighteen in this like fucking matter of fact two let's see three two uh yeah the top two broke two nineteen and we had uh our girl came in fifth Sarah Hall was the top American performer. She ran 222. That's even phenomenal. And then uh, our girl, Kiara D'Amato, who broke the uh, American record earlier this year, or uh, was it the end of last year or earlier this year? She, she's, she broke 220 earlier this year. I think it was earlier this year. She got 6th, uh, 7th, seventh, seventh at 223. So good for her. 
running from running in front of the home crowd in Eugene, first time ever on American soil, the world champs. And then, uh, kind of, what else you got? What so? What else you got? Well, speaking of Norway, well, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, Ingebrigtsen, the favorite, the guy who expected to just toy with everybody and bitch slap everybody, um, got beat. Got beat by a Brit, uh, Jake Whiteman. Just held him off. 329, 329, that's a fucking, now that's a time. And uh, Ingebrigtsen ran 328 last year at the Olympics to, to win the Olympic title and break the Olympic record, but just didn't, uh, he just ran out of gas. What's really cool, though, is from what I understand is the British announcer for the World Championships is Jake Whiteman's dad. How cool is that? Watch your son win the World Championships in the 1500. That's pretty badass. And where'd we finish? Who was our top finisher? I don't even know. Shit, I don't have the results in front of me. It wasn't pretty, though. What's his name? Cooper Tier didn't even... He didn't even make the final. So what the fuck? But, uh, damn, men's marathon, 205. 205. 205.36, no less. Fucking hell. Second place, 206.44. I mean, that's fucking fast. So the top American was uh, Galen Rupp, local boy. Uh, former Eugene standout, former Uni- University of Oregon All-American. Um, I think he's a 206 marathoner, but he ended up coming in at, uh, I think he was 19th overall. Top American finisher ran 209. Still a great time. Great time, but man, quality field. I mean, you go down to like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tenth place was 207.56. The top 11 were under 208. I mean, 208 is going to win you most marathons. Uh, oh, they'll win any marathon pretty much up until 83, a 208 marathon. I mean, shit. Rob D. Costello ran 207.51 in Boston in 86. And that was huge. That was the third fastest of all time at that time. The only two faster was Carlos Lopes at 207.12. And then um, Steve Jones at 207.13, one second behind him. So there's only three guys that have broken 208 by 1986. And now they got the top 11 under 208. In the world championships, fuck, bro, fuck. So, uh, men's 10,000, our boy Grant Fisher, fastest 10,000-meter runner in the world this year at 26.33, just misses the medal stand. Fourth place, very seemingly tactile, pretty fast race, though, 27.27. The top three ran 27.27. And then uh, third place was 27, 27.97. And then our boy Fisher, 27, 27.28.24. So, I mean, he was right there. He was a, he was a, uh, he was a, he was a snot rocket away. He was all he had to do was blow one booger. He was one booger away from hitting the metal stand. But oh well. Uh, let's see. And then in uh, let's see, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth place, uh, the second American was Joe Klecker at twenty-seven thirty-eight. So it was a good race. They're all good races. Um, men's hundred meters, Fred Curley. He. Uh, Matter of fact, it was a sweep. That was a sweep. That was an American sweep. 9.88 for Fred Curley to win the gold. Second and third, 9.88. So top three divided by 0.02 seconds. Top three. Unfucking believable. So, so there you go. Um, remarkable stuff. Uh, what else we got coming up? So. Um, let's see, we still got a 
get the 5,000 meter results. Uh, then the 200 meters, they got Noah Lyles facing off against Arian Knight, and that's going to be an epic duel. I think that's going on today. I think I got to double check that. I got to, I got to, I got to, uh, got to double back on that and get some, get some, get the info to the people. Get the info to the people, baby. But uh, shaping up to be some good shit. Some good world championships. Um, I don't know where these guys go from here, but, man, it's been a pretty good ride up until now with Nationals, Prefontaine Classic, world championships. Um, no complaints this summer. Um, we're heading into the dog days, though. We haven't even hit the dog days. You know, that's the scary part. We're not even at the dog days. We're in, we're getting ready to go into baseball. The dog days of baseball, all-star breaks over. Who even knows who won anymore? Like, do, sadly, people don't even watch baseball. Do people even watch baseball anymore? It's just, baseball is like that sport you gotta go, you gotta go watch. You gotta go see it. In my opinion, because you could do other stuff in between, you know, waiting on pitches and stuff. You got, you know, you got the crazies in the outfield, like, you know, the guys that are out there in the middle of uh, April in the bleachers when it's getting down to be about 50 degrees in Oakland, the Coliseum, and some dude wearing nothing but cut off jeans, jean shorts, you know who's been nursing uh, fucking rum and cokes for like the last two hours. Just decides to rally, just whip the crowd into a frenzy and start heckling the outfielder from the opposite team. What's the matter with Pete? And then the rest of the crowd goes, he's a chump. What's the matter with Pete? He's a chump. Shit like that. That's baseball. That's where you, that's why you go. You football. You can't, I don't, I've been to, I've been to a football game. You know, you can't see what's going on. You got you get the same reaction as you do with one of those uh, those old football games, like you, like the the big metal fucking football game where you put all the little dudes, the little magnetic dudes on the on the on the little fake metal gridiron, and and then you just turn it on and they all, and they all just buzz around. Anybody born anybody born in the seventies knows what I'm talking about. Worst football game ever, but the coolest. Like nothing ever happens. They all just kind of buzz around. They don't none of them go anywhere. None of them make any progress. You know, you're playing with a little fuck a little styrofoam football with these 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 plastic army men that are immobile. And uh, but that's like what what it's like going to an actual. Um, football game you can't see shit nothing happens you watch that on tv that's when football nfl football is best seen on television game slows down you watch the play transpire you get the best seat in the house you know who are these who are these psychopaths up in like you know green bay when it's like you know minus 70 and these motherfuckers are out there, like, st- sitting in the stands, drinking beer. I mean, uh, I don't know. Just when, you th- just when you thought we were evolving. I don't know. But, but that's pretty much, uh, that's, about, that's, about, that's about what I got for y'all today, boys and girls, moms and dads. You know, kit, you know, cats and kittens. So... I hope you're. Uh, hope you're. I hope you're. You're making it, making it through the day each day. This kind of heat, suppressive heat, the soul crushing heat. But I don't know. Maybe if you got the opportunity, crack a window, put on a little jazz, put on a little trumpet, little horn, little Charlie Parker, little Ella Fitzgerald, little Art Tatum. Listen to some horns. Let the heat just wash over you. And I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, baby.
All right. So, I finally got back and I got to watch the 1500. That was the best race I've seen so far. So, you got Ingebrigtsen. And you got Jake Whiteman, who... <clears throat> I guess he's Scottish. He runs for Great Britain, but... He's Scottish and he broke the uh, national Scottish record at, uh, like, last month or something. So he's like a, he's legit, but not only that, the Kenyans got shut out of all the medals. Third place was a Spaniard. We had one American, and he finished eighth. Um... What a what a final lap though! They came through the first quarter in fifty five seconds. <coughs> Excuse me. Then coming off the final turn, Whiteman takes the lead on the, the last turn and then runs it in from one hundred and seventy meters and keeps Ingebrigtsen off him. The whole time, Ingebrigtsen had no answer. You know what I think about Ingebrigtsen? I th- he just, he's totally shocked. He, he says, uh, he says he's uh, embarrassed he got second place. Like, he's, his dad is his coach, I believe, and he's got two brothers, and his other, he's, he's got a brother that's a 349 miler. I think that dad is just one of those psychotic coach dads that just busts, like, two-by-fours over their heads and stuff like that. You know, one of those weird, they got those weird training philosophies, you know, that just don't make sense. And he runs like, you know, 210 miles a week, you know, 30 miles a day. And just is just like, has a a high volume of (laughs) self-hatred so that when he gets second, he just goes into like a complete tailspin. You can just kind of read that on his face. He's only 21. He just won the Olympic uh, championship last year. I set the Olympic record at 328. This guy, Jake Whiteman, though, 329. Unbelievable. So I think that's the world leader right now. So it's about 347 mile. It converts to 347 mile. But yeah, it converts in his face. He's just written all over his face. He's just crapped. What a race, though. And then the Spaniard comes up and just snatches the bronze right out from Shiroyat's hands. And, and that, was the, that was the duel right there. Uh... Kip Shiroyat, the, the Kenyan, <clears throat> who Ingebrigtsen had never beaten until the Olympics last year. And, uh, whoa, what a race. And then Whiteman's dad is the announcer in the booth. So, can you imagine? Um, but, yeah, Kenyans got shut out in a distance race. That's like, I, I, has that ever happened in the last half century? Okay, so I had to... I had to drop that on y'all, all right? So, <clears throat> world champs, tune in. Later. <laughs>